word. So, like I said, I'm Anthony, and for those of you that are teaching, don't save it to the last minute. Like, I, it was crunch time for me, like, even last night. I didn't, I thought I was going to have time, and nope. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're in the Beatitudes, like Tanner said, we're in the series called B, uh, Matthew 5. So, yeah, I'll st- I manuscripted my entire thing, and so I think I'm just going to start going. I'm not going to try reading it right off. But, so we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and John the Baptist's ministry has just ended now, and Christ is picking up from where he left off. MacArthur describes the Sermon on the Mount like this, quote, This sermon is a masterful exposition of the law and potent assault of Pharisaic legalism, closing with the call to true faith and salvation. Christ expounded the full meaning of the law, showing that its demands were humanly impo- impossible. This is the proper use of the law with respect to salvation. It closes off every possible human avenue of, or every possible avenue of human merit, and leaves sinners dependent on nothing but divine grace for salvation. End quote. So yeah, here at Crossley, we've been focusing particularly on the Beatitudes, which uh, take place in the beginning of Matthew five. The Beatitudes are a description of what it means to be a believer. And so, with that, let's jump into the text. Would someone want to read Matthew 5, 1 through 7? Andy. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Um, so, yeah, Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't this a paradox if you've ever heard one? If you remember what Andy said last week, that blessed can mean happy, it sounds like Christ is saying that happy are those who are sad. This is completely opposite of what the world says, isn't it? The world says, let your troubles go. Live with no regrets. YOLO. Then you will be happy. But Christ says, be sad, and then you will be happy. What does it mean, what does it mean when Christ says, or uh, what does it Christ mean when he says, blessed or happy are those who mourn? How can you be happy if you're in mourning? Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. John 1.16 says, That out of his fullness of blessing, he gives us grace upon grace. Meaning, God has an overflow of blessing in himself. And out of his overflow, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. I've got a quick story to illustrate. It takes place back in 1964 up uh, the Sun River on Gibson Dam. This is a real story. Um, the snowpack was breaking records that year, and then in early June, the clouds let loose. And within one night, there was anywhere from 10 to 15 inches of rain. Nothing like this has ever been seen before. And the snow all melted off, and tiny creeks became torrents. And then Gibson began filling up. The levels rose and rose and rose until they reached what is known as the emergency overflow tunnel, which is this little tube that's about, probably about 20 feet in circumference and shoots out an extra water if the, re- if the reservoir is too high. The tunnel would typically be able to take on flood season water, but not this year. The water completely filled the tunnel and began pouring over the top. In order to do that, it would have had to back up the entire reservoir behind the dam about 13 miles. The water level was so high it came pouring over the top of the dam four feet. The same, this is the same picture that is in John 1.16. When God blesses us, 
He blesses us out of the overflow that is in Him. The Lord blesses those who are in a state of mourning in this way. And so the next question is, if God is so rich in blessing, what are these blessings that, with which He blesses us with? 1 Corinthians 1, 28-31 says, God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, the blessings we receive from God aren't necessarily physical, but more often than not, they're spiritual. There are things like comfort, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And not only are they spiritual, but they're a person. The biggest and greatest blessing you could ever receive is Jesus Christ. Far above all worldly things, far above cars, food, girls, sports, a good income, an awesome family, is Christ. God never promises a good life when you come to him. He does, however, promise his son, in whom there is ultimate satisfaction. And I think the Westminster Catechism puts it well when asking and answering the question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And truly I tell you that the greatest blessing that you could ever receive, that is, that is the greatest blessing you could ever receive. The most valuable thing in this universe isn't anything on this world. It is, on another, it is in another world, eternity to be exact, and it is God himself who is our ultimate blessing. And to think that this applies to those who mourn, what a paradox it truly is when you can apply every spiritual blessing and everything that God has to offer to make someone happy to someone that is in a state of mourning. And this isn't your typical everyday kind of sad either. These blessings don't just apply to anyone. Pentheo, the word that... I actually looked it up, just so you know. <laughs> Pentheo, the word used for mourn here, is the strongest and most severe uh, out of the nine words used for sorrow in the Greek. The word carries an idea of deep inner agony, which may or may not be expressed with outward weeping, wailing, or lament. It's the same kind of feeling you get when someone extremely close to you dies. If you haven't ever gone through something like this, it's like someone shoving like a knife like right here and twisting. It's <laughs> having gone through it, I would really call it a, just a deep, deep inner aching. And yeah, it really makes you sick. <laughs> but death is not what we're talking about in this context, or the immediate context, I should say. Being that the Beatitudes focus more on the spiritual side of things, especially right in the beginning, it's safe to say that this morning isn't immediately trying to refer to the physical things of life, but rather the spiritual. This Beatitude, then, is speaking of sin. It's saying, blessed are those who mourn over sin and the effects that sin has on the world. Anyways. <laughs> but back, a few, back up, if you will, with me to Isaiah 5. To capture a little context, Isaiah has been sent in order to bring God's people back to repentance and offer a chance to the surrounding nations to be able to repent also. This is just before Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in fullness of glory, and now Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on Judah. So, Isaiah. 
Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick. Let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who quit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. So Isaiah is saying, woe to you. They know exactly what they are doing, and yet they keep persisting on it. The people, Israel at this time, know that Isaiah is a prophet, and yet they mock and laugh at his words that come out of his mouth, saying, let him be quick. Let, his, let him speed his work that he may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One and of, of Israel draw near and let it come, that, they may know, that we may know it. They're mocking God's judgment. They're mocking the exact words that God has to say and how serious their their sin is. How arrogant. They know that they're in sin, and yet they keep persisting on it. They have gone so far to say that evil is good and good is evil. That is why he says, woe to you. And if you don't remember Pastor Brian's sermon from uh, a few weeks ago, when he explained woe, it it means judgment or how awful it will be for you. And so here Isaiah is saying, how awful it will be for you if you keep on sinning as you do. If you make heroes out of those who drink. If you keep on defying the Lord by disobeying his word. If you boast in yourself. The only thing you have to look forward to is God's judgment. Later in Isaiah 22 it says, In that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth, and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep eating flesh and drinking wine. These people were celebrating. And they said, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. They're mocking God. They're mocking sin. They do not understand the seriousness of sin. Isaiah had been prophesying towards these people so much that they had become hardened to the point of willful, willful disobedience toward God. When Isaiah called them to repent, they instead threw a feast When he said, judgment is coming, they scoffed and said, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And you know what God's response is? He sent nations to come and take them captive. Sin is not something to be taken lightly. We know that God takes sin seriously. Over in Luke 6.25, it's a contrasting passage to Matthew 5.4. It says, woe to those who laugh now, for they shall shall mourn and weep. If you aren't weeping and mourning over sin and you call yourself a Christian, examine yourself (laughs) to see that you are in the faith. No one has ever become a believer that hasn't dealt with his or her sin. It's not just some warm, fuzzy feeling you pray after you pray a prayer and then you're a believer. It should be, as we were talking earlier, a deep sense of agony that comes along whenever you, and so it makes you don't ever want to sin again. Don't, be, don't deceive yourself in saying that your sin is light. May you bow down before God as Isaiah, as Isaiah did and say, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Lord of hosts. Come to grips with the fact that you are a sinner, and there is nothing you could do in order to save yourself. You can't clean, up, you can't clean yourself up and expect to be accepted by God, because no matter how good you are, without Christ, there is only eternal damnation for you. But thank goodness that Matthew 5.4 5, says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The only way you could ever truly have comfort after coming to terms with your own depravity is to understand that someday, soon, it will all be made new. Christianity has been called the most pessimistic and optimistic religion in the world for a reason. It's pessimistic because the Bible paints a picture that we as human beings are the scum of the earth and that we can do no, nothing good on our own. But it's optimistic because Christ is coming sooner than we realize and he's going to redeem the earth and everything in it. Meaning, he's going to take this, that wretched body of yours that pleases himself in sinning and he's going to change it into a glorious new body that not, not only delights itself but is fully, satisfi- is fully satisfied in the presence of God. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible one, only four of them don't involve a fallen world. The first two and the last two. Before the fall and after creation of the new heaven and a new earth. And at the end of it all, Christ is going to establish his kingdom forever. Revelation 21 says, He will wipe away every, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so, praise the Lord that one day, sin and everything that is affected will be made new. And that is why we can be happy when we are sad, because we know one day, that sin and everything that is affected will be eradicated. And so, that's what I prepped.